Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10 o'clock a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 29th day of January 2024. This is Palindrome Show 848 of Bitcoin. And Circle P is open for business. Circle P is my penance. It is my, how shall we call it? Uh, it, It's what I try to do for the community, free of charge, and bring to you goods and services from plebs around the world and stuff that you can buy in Bitcoin. If you can't buy it in Bitcoin, it ain't in the Circle P. Today is Oak Grove, also known as Dubrovko. You can find him over on Noster at Oak Grove. He's got a space in it, and but his end pub will be in the, uh, in the show notes. He's in the DFW area. You're going to want some Black Soldier Fly when uh, springtime. You're going to want to make your Black Soldier Fly bend. You can unleash the power of nature with Oak Grove's premium black soldier fly larvae, perfect for composting, fishing, or livestock feed. These larvae are a natural wonder, sustainable, nutritious, and ready to ship. Well, nutritious for livestock. Humans do not eat this. And also, guys, don't feed this stuff to your pets. Unless your chicken is a pet, that's okay. This is livestock food, okay? It's livestock food. When I'm saying we're going to eat insects, what we're going to do is we're going to feed the insects to our animals and let them process it. And then we're going to eat the actual animals as God intended. Uh, Transform your approach to eco-friendly solutions today. Order now and see the difference with Oak Grove's larva, nature's tiny giants at your service. They certainly are tiny giants because, you know, when you got about 150,000 of them crawling around, They will eat anything. And guess what? When they finally, you know, a couple are going to escape your your soldier fly bin and they're going to turn into flies. But flies that have no stinger, no mouth parts, no biting parts. They don't have an anus. they They don't have a mouth. Because they're done eating. When they're a larva, that's when they eat. They're done eating after they become a larva. After that, they're just reproduction only. So they don't even bother you. They really don't. They, I mean, there's nothing about these. They don't even, because they have no mouth parts, they don't eat. Because they're not eating, they're not walking around in garbage. So they're actually the cleanest fly that you'll ever see. And you can get all of them and more from Dubrovko, a.k.a. Oak Grove over on Noster. Uh, he probably doesn't, I don't know if he's got any now, but it's middle of winter. You're going to be wanting to wait till April at best, maybe April, May. You're, but you're going to want to get a black soldier fly bin because all of your scraps can go in there. You can throw in grass clippings. You can throw in leaves. They eat everything, but they especially will take care of meat, fat, like literally anything out of your kitchen. 
scrape your plates off into your black soldier fly bin and it'll turn it into awesome compost and into black soldier fly larvae, which will then be like, it's like 43% crude fat, 30% protein. The rest is water. And you feed those critters to like chickens and ducks and fish and stuff. You're going to have some healthy livestock. So please start thinking very serious about getting your black soldier fly bin together. Now on with the news. 18 United States senators now, quote, stand with crypto. Oh, for God. Why are we always standing around? It's like every time I stand with Ukraine, stand with Bitcoin, stand with crypto, stand with Texas, stand with this and stand with that. And I'm tired of standing around. Of course, that's what happens when you sell all your shares for Bitcoin. (coughs) We are talking about the Coinbase Lobby Group and Tom Mitchell Hill from Cointelegraph is going to tell us even more about it. At least 18 senators in the United States support crypto, according to recent data from Coinbase's nonprofit advocacy organization, Stand With Crypto. Stand With Crypto shows Republican Senators Cynthia Loomis and Ted Burr currently standing as the most pro-crypto politicians in the United States Senate, with Loomis touting eight crypto bills and 184 public statements on crypto, while Burr boasts only eight bills and 24 statements. Oh, I guess it's a race. Following close behind Loomis and Burr, our fellow Republicans Ted Cruz and Bill Haggerty with a combined five bills and 92 statements of the 18 senators who favor crypto. 14 are Republicans, but only four are Democrats. While 18 senators may stand with crypto, there are a total of 30 senators that reportedly stand firmly in opposition to crypto. Of the 30 senators that have taken a position against crypto, 23 are Democrats and five are Republicans. Two, however, are actually independents, according to the tracker. There are 100 senators in the United States Senate, two for each state. The tracker also notes that Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump and independent presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tipped towards supporting crypto. Kennedy has made Bitcoin a core theme of his election campaign and proposed legislation if elected, while Trump recently announced that he would not allow for the creation of a central bank digital currency. Meanwhile, President Joe Joe Biden, Bo Jaden, he's listed as against crypto on the website, having made five public statements that skew towards a negative stance on digital assets. The most notable of the crypto opposing senators is, of course, Focahontas, otherwise known as Elizabeth Warren, who has now backed or introduced a total of three anti-crypto bills, as well as issuing a total of 76 statements against crypto, according to Stand With Crypto Data. In July of 2023, Warren reintroduced her Digital Asset Money Laundering Act, which intends to crack down on non-custodial digital wallets. Good effing luck with that. Extend Bank Secrecy Act responsibilities, establish an anti-money laundering compliance examination, and other legal measures to fight the illicit use of digital money. While the bill is supported by numerous lawmakers, From both sides of the aisle, the legislation has received criticism from advocacy groups, which claims it would fail to address the illicit use of digital assets. In 2023, Warren made a war on crypto a key part of her re-election campaign. All right, so apparently we're now keeping score. Uh, 
given that you know our, our, our good friends over at Coinbase have decided to have a tracker. That's right, a tracker. That's what this is all about. It's it's not that they're a group of people that meet together in in public over there at you know at a at Coinbase talking with art you know Armstrong or whatever. No 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 no. This is simply just a tracker. And here's where this fails because it doesn't. You can track things until you're blue in the face, right? And you can look at politicians and find out what side of whatever issue they stand on. That doesn't matter. Not anymore. Because over the past 25 years, it has become almost expected that one day a senator and or a House representative or like representative of the House representatives will, will, they'll say one thing and then 24 hours later, they will have completely flip-flopped. And depending on how the political winds shift. And right now, the weather patterns in the world are so spicy that shifting wind currents should be expected. And therefore, whatever these people say today, I don't believe them because tomorrow they'll probably say the exact opposite. So what this is, honestly, is a bullshit tracker from our friends at Coinbase. It's just, it's, we keep thinking that these people are going to save us, that these people want to actually work with us. Nothing could be further from the truth. Right now, Cynthia Lummis is probably the most trustworthy person when it comes to Bitcoin that's representing Bitcoiners and United States citizenry in in the Senate. However, I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. So just beware when these things come out that 18 senators are now pro-crypto. I'm immediately calling bullshit because tomorrow that's probably going to be completely different. Now, we broke $43,000 on the price of Bitcoin this morning. It's now tucked firmly down below. I'm, I'm reading 42962 So over the weekend, there's been a lot of talk about GBTC's outflows starting to get squelched. They're not flowing as much Bitcoin out of the GBTC as they were. Uh, let's, let's find out a little bit more out of Bitcoin Magazine. This one is written by David Bailey and Spencer Nichols. GBTC outflows, forecasting total Bitcoin selling pressure and market impact. January 25th, 2024. Since Wall Street came to Bitcoin under the auspices of a spot ETF approval, the market has been met with relentless selling from the largest pool of Bitcoin in the world, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust which held more than 630,000 Bitcoin at its peak. After conversion from a closed-end fund to a spot ETF, GBTC's treasury, 3% of all 21 million Bitcoin, has bled more than $4 billion during the first nine days of ETF trading, while other ETF participants have seen inflows of approximately $5.2 billion over that same time period. The result, which is $824 million of net 
inflows is somewhat surprising given the sharply negative price action since the SEC lent its stamp of approval. And that's what everybody's trying to figure out here, ladies and gentlemen, is we have more Bitcoin actually being bought than being sold. And we're all confused as to why number go down when there's more Bitcoin actually being bought than sold. Right? That's what I've been talking about all last week. Okay, so these guys are saying that in trying to forecast the near-term impact of spot Bitcoin ETFs, we must first understand for how long and to what magnitude GBTC outflows will continue. Below is a review of the causes of the outflows, who the sellers are, their estimated relative stockpiles, and how long we can expect those outflows to take. Ultimately, these projected outflows, despite being undoubtedly large, are counterintuitively extremely bullish for Bitcoin in the medium term, despite the downside volatility that we have all experienced and perhaps most did not really expect post the ETF approval. So first, some housekeeping on GBTC. It is now plainly clear just how important of a catalyst the GBTC arbitrage trade was in fomenting the 2021 or 2020 to 2021 Bitcoin bull run. The GBTC premium was the rocket fuel driving the market higher, allowing market participants like 3AC and Babel and Celsius and BlockFi and Voyager, etc., etc., to acquire shares of net asset value, all the while marking their book value up to include the premium. Essentially, the premium drove demand for creation of GBTC shares, which in turn drove bidding for spot Bitcoin. It was basically risk-free. While the premium took the market higher during the 2020 and further bull run and billions of dollars poured into it capture the GBTC premium, the story quickly turned sour. As the, as the GBTC golden goose ran dry and the trust began trading below net average value or net asset value in February of 2021, a daisy chain of liquidations ensued. The GBTC discount essentially took the balance sheet of the entire industry down with it. Sparked by the implosion of Terra Luna in May of 2022, cascading liquidations of GBTC shares by parties like 3AC and Babel ensued, pushing the GBTC discount down even further. Since then, GBTC has been an albatross around the neck of Bitcoin and continues to be as the bankruptcy estates of those hung out to dry on the GBTC risk-free trade are still liquidating their GBTC shares to this day. Of the aforementioned victims of the risk-free trade and its collateral damage, the FTX estate finally liquidated 20,000 BTC across the first eight days of spot Bitcoin ETF trading in order to pay back its creditors. It is also important to note the role of the steep GBTC discount relative to NAV, net asset value, and its impact on spot Bitcoin demand. The discount incentivized investors to go long GBTC and short BTC, collecting a BTC-denominated return as GBTC crept back up towards net asset value. This dynamic further siphoned spot Bitcoin demand away a toxic combination that has further plagued the market until the GBTC discount recently returned to near neutral post the ETF approval. 
So with all that said, there are considerable quantities of bankruptcy estates that still hold GBTC and they will continue to liquidate from the stockpile of 600,000 BTC that Grayscale owned. The following is an attempt to highlight different segments of GBTC shareholders and to then interpret what additional outflows we may see in accordance with the financial strategy for each segment. Simply put, the question is this. Of the 600,000 BTC that were in the trust, how many of them are likely to exit GBTC in total? Subsequently, of those outflows, how many are going to rotate back into a Bitcoin product or into Bitcoin itself, thus largely negating the selling pressure? This is where it gets tricky. And knowing who owns GBTC shares and what their incentives are is important. The two key aspects driving GBTC outflows are as follows. First, fee structure, 1.5% annual fee, and idiosyncratic selling depending on each shareholder's unique financial circumstances. In bankruptcy estates, the estimated ownership is 15%, or 89.5 million shares that represent 77,000 BTC. So as of January 22nd of this year, the FTX estate has liquidated its entire GBTC holdings of 22 million shares. Other bankrupt parties, including GBTC's sister company, Genesis Global, that represents 32,000 BTC, and an additional but not yet publicly identified entity, holds approximately another 28,000 BTC. To reiterate, Bankruptcy estates held approximately 15.5% of GBTC shares, and likely most or all of these shares will be sold as soon as legally possible in order to repay the creditors of those estates. The FTX estate has already sold its 22 million shares. While it is not clear if Genesis and the other party have sold their stake, taking all of this together, it is likely that a significant portion of bankruptcy sales have already been digested by the market, aided in no small part by FTX ripping off the Band-Aid on January the 22nd, 2024. One wrinkle to add to the bankruptcy sale, these will likely not be smooth nor drawn out, but more lump sum as in the case of FTX. Conversely, other types of shareholders will likely exit their positions in a more drawn-out manner rather than liquidating their holdings in one fell swoop. Once legal hang-ups are taken care of, it is very likely that 100% of bankruptcy estate shares will be sold. Now we come to retail brokerage and retirement accounts. GBTC, as one of the first passive products available for retail investors when it launched in 2013, has a massive retail contingency. In my estimation, retail investors hold approximately 50% of GBTC shares that represent 255,000 Bitcoin. That's just over a quarter million Bitcoin, ladies and gentlemen. This is the trickiest tranche of shares to project in terms of the optimal path forward because their decision to sell or not will depend upon the price of Bitcoin 
which then dictates the tax status for each share purchase. For example, if the price of Bitcoin rises, a greater proportion of retail shares will be in profit, meaning if that they if they rotate out of GBTC, they will incur a taxable event in the form of capital gains, thus they will likely stay put. However, the inverse is true as well. If the price of Bitcoin continues to fall, more GBTC investors will not incur a taxable event and thus will be incentivized to exit. This potential feedback loop marginally increases the pool of sellers that can exit without a tax penalty. And given GBTC's unique availability to those early to Bitcoin, therefore likely in profit, it is likely that most retail investors will stay put. To put a number on it, it is feasible that 25% retail brokerage accounts will sell, but this is subject to change depending upon Bitcoin price action as noted above. Next up, we have retail investors with tax-exempt statuses who allocated via IRAs. Now, these shareholders are extremely sensitive to the fee structure and can sell without a taxable event given their IRA status. With GBTC's egregious 1.5% annual fee, which is six times that of GBTC's competitors, it is all but certain. A significant portion of this segment will exit GBTC in favor of other spot ETFs. It is likely that 75% of these shareholders will exit, while many will remain due to apathy or misunderstanding of GBTC's fee structure in relation to other products or they simply value the liquidity that they offer in relation to other ETF products. On the bright side, for spot Bitcoin demand from retirement accounts, these outflows will likely be met with inflows into other spot ETF products, as they will likely just rotate rather than exiting Bitcoin into cash. Now, institutional shareholders are next. They account for approximately 180,000 Bitcoin in GBTC. And these players include Firtree and Saba Capital, as well as hedge funds that wanted to arbitrage the GBTC discount and spot Bitcoin price discrepancy. This was done by going long GBTC and short Bitcoin in order to have net neutral Bitcoin positioning and capture GBTC's return to NAV. As a caveat, This tranche of shareholders is opaque and hard to forecast and also acts as a bellwether for Bitcoin demand from TradFi. For those with GBTC exposure purely for the aforementioned arbitrage trade, we can assume that they will not return to purchase Bitcoin through any other mechanism. We estimate investors of this type to make up 25% of all GBTC shares or about 130,000 BTC. This is by no means certain. But it would reason that greater than 50% of TradFi will exit to cash without returning to a Bitcoin product or physical Bitcoin. For Bitcoin native funds and Bitcoin whales, 5% of the total shares, it is likely that their solid or that they sold GBTC shares will be recycled into Bitcoin, resulting in a net flat impact on Bitcoin price. For crypto native investors, 5% of total shares, They will likely exit GBTC into cash and other crypto assets that are not Bitcoin and combined these two cohorts represent 50,000 BTC and they will not or they will have a net neutral to slightly negative impact on Bitcoin price given the relative rotations to cash and Bitcoin. The total GBTC outflows and the net Bitcoin impact to be clear. 
There's a large amount of uncertainty in these projections, but the following is a ballpark estimate of the overall redemption landscape given the dynamics mentioned between bankruptcy estates, retail brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, and institutional investors. So here's the projected outflow breakdown. 250,000 to 350,000 BTC total projected GBTC outflows. That's like 350,000 is more than half of the BTC that they started with, which was 630,000 BTC at its peak. 100,000 to 150,000 more BTC expected to leave the trust and converted directly into cash. Another 150,000 to 200,000 in GBTC outflows rotating into other trusts or products. 250,000 to 350,000 BTC will remain in GBTC. 100,000 to 150,000 net selling pressure. So, all the, between all the stuff that remains in GBTC, all the stuff that gets rotated into other spot Bitcoin ETF products, you have a net total selling pressure of 100 to 150,000 BTC. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lot. That's a lot. Anyway, as of January the 26th, approximately 115,000 BTC have left the building of GBTC. Given Alameda's recorded sale of 20,000 Bitcoin, we estimate that of the other 95,000 Bitcoin, half have rotated into cash and half have rotated into Bitcoin or other Bitcoin products. This implies net neutral market impact from GBTC outflows. Estimated outflows that have yet to occur. Bankruptcy estates for 55,000 BTC. Retail brokerage accounts, 65 to 75,000 more BTC. Retirement accounts, a measly 10,000 to 12,250 BTC. Institutional investors, 35 to 40,000 BTC. Total estimated outflows to come. What we haven't seen it yet, these are to come, according to this estimate, selling of 135 to 230,000 more BTC. And by the way, the Marshall's office has said that they're going to sell their 30,000 BTC, so we can add that shit on top. In summary, we estimate that the market has already stomached approximately 30 to 45% of all projected total outflows, and that the remaining 55 to 70% of expected outflows will follow in short order over the next 20 to 30 trading days. All in? 150 to 200,000 BTC in net selling pressure may result from GBTC sales given that the significant proportion of outflows will either rotate into spot ETF products or into cold storage Bitcoin. We are through the brunt of the pain from Barry Silbert's GBTC gauntlet, and that alone is reason to celebrate. The market will be much better off on the other side. GBTC will finally have relinquished its stranglehold over Bitcoin markets. And without the specter of the discount of future fire sales hanging over the market, Bitcoin will be much less encumbered when it does rise. While it will take time to digest the rest of these GBTC outflows, and there will likely be a long tail of people exiting their position, Bitcoin will have plenty of room to run when the spot ETF settle into a groove. Oh, and did I mention the halving is coming? 
But that's a story for another time. All right, so <clears throat> again, we have an entire tome of, you know, pretty good salient information out of Bitcoin Magazine here. And yet not a single person has actually broached the question, why will they not lower their annual fee from 1.5% to something more manageable? Nobody said that told me that legally they can't. Nobody has actually weighed in on the matter at all as to the fact that if you see your customers rushing for the door and you know it's because you're charging too much, then maybe it's time to lower your prices. Nobody said anything like that either. I don't care if what you have, like if you're, if you have an idea as to why 1.5% annual management fee will not be discussed or will not be lowered, it doesn't matter how naive you think your idea is. Please tell me your idea, either in Boostergrams or over on Noster. You can go find me at Bitcoin and on Twitter. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm kind of putting the, the, the Bitcoin and podcast Twitter account together. It's slow going. I mean, I used to have like, 9,000 followers on Twitter, um, but it's really slow. The landscape's different. Just get a hold of me any way you can. You know, I, you, I'm always on Noster. I'm always on Noster. You can always find me there. None your business. You, I mean, if, if you don't, you'll find me. Trust me. Plus, my NPUB is in the show notes, and I'll put my uh, Twitter handle in there as well. Um I'm very interested in why nobody's talking about why Barry won't lower the fee. Well, at this point, it's more sun and shine. He's the new CEO. But why is it the GBTC or, or actually just Grayscale at all, just over all their products? Why do they refuse to lower their fee? Are, are they legally bound by something that they can never get away, that they will never not be able to charge 1.5%? I think that that's a ridiculous claim if somebody actually makes that. I'd have to actually see why it is they can't go to the SEC and say, dude, we are losing our customers. We're losing our ass. We've got to change this fee. We've got to become more competitive. We want to do 0.5. We want to do 0.4% annual management fee. Why? Somebody suggested maybe loans are involved. And if they go down on their management fees, that they're going to actually have to renege on those loans. And then those loans will get called and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're charging 1.5% annual management fee on zero assets because they all left, then you're still getting nothing and you're still going to default on loans. None of this shit makes sense to me. Why will they not lower their fee? And I'm not freaking out because Bitcoin's leaving the building. I'm thinking of it from an entrepreneurial aspect. If I have a shit ton of customers and I'm making money hand over fist, and, and the landscape changes and I see those customers that are making me money flee to other people that have the exact same freaking investment product at a much lower price, I've got to stay competitive. And the only way to do that is what? We're all working with BTC. The only thing different is management fees. So why are they not trying to arrest the amount of people flowing out of their doors by simply just going, you know what, we're going to do 0.4. At 0.5, I guarantee you they'd have way more retention of their clientele than they do right now. 
It's so easy to make the decision to leave GBTC. It's so easy to leave Grayscale. They're making it so easy for you to go find a new person to do business with. And I don't understand it, but we do have numbers to run. CNBC futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate Oil is down one and a third to $76.93. Brent North Sea is down one and a quarter. Natural gas is down, holy shit, eight and a half percent to $2.47 per thousand. Gasoline is down two and a half percent to $2.23 a gallon. Did I say a gallon on natural gas? I meant a thousand cubic feet. Gold is up a third. Silver is up 1.6. Platinum is up 1.6%. Copper is up 0.69%. Palladium is up 2%. Lumber. uh, No, actually, I take that back. Chocolate or cocoa is the biggest winner in ag today. 1.5% of the upside. Biggest loser is going to be coffee. Almost 2% of the downside. Live cattle is down a half. Lean hogs are down a quarter. Feeder cattle are down a half. The Dow is down, but scant. It's basically moving sideways. S&P is up scant, basically moving sideways. The NASDAQ, however, is up a third. S&P mini is basically moving sideways. Bonds are, the yields have all been pushed down. The 10-year is now yielding 4.9%, the 20-year 4.444%, and the 30-year 4.33%. The dollar index stands at 103.66 after a quarter percent rise, so apparently everybody loves the dollar. Now, $43,023.84 is the price of Bitcoin, at least right now. Average transaction value is a quarter of a Bitcoin. Median transaction values are 23 cents. What does that automatically tell you? Ordinals. The UDI released a whole shit ton of cats because of the opcat thing. I, you know what? I don't want to get into it because it's just stupid and it's causing... Is causing some real ill will. Although, thankfully, I don't get the same vibes that I got pre-2017 and the block size war. But it could get there. And I don't ever want to see that shit again. Please be responsible with your time on this planet and stop feeding Udi Wertheimer's ego and buying his opcats. Please stop doing that. Block times are low. 8 minutes, 50 seconds. A third of a Bitcoin per or four fees on a per block basis and 56 and a half taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours with a 2.31% rise in hash rate. We are at 571 and a half exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator also doing well because Bitcoin's doing well. 8.2 United States pennies for Dogecoin. Please stay away from it. It doesn't make any sense at this point. It actually, it never really did, but. It was fun for a while back in the day, but Elon turned it into, well, the hellscape. Uh, Clark Moody Bitcoin, reading from the new version two Bitcoin, which I really love, but he does not have lightning network statistics on it, but I don't care. I love the the outlay of dashboard.clarkmoody.com. That's Clark Moody's new dashboard. It's dashboard dot clarkmoody.com you can log in with Noster. I love that. I love that. I love that. Market cap is 800 
and $43.7 billion. There are 19,612,249 and a quarter BTC in circulation at the time. Average block size is 1.71 megabytes. Hash rate is 521.1 exahashes per second. Average fees for a block is a half a Bitcoin. Wow. For every block, that's about that's that washes with what we just read. Uh, block space percentage uh, for thirty uh, for the la- running thirty day average is one point four percent. What does that mean? What does that mean? Block space percentage here is the proportion of block space consumed by inscriptions in the last thirty days. So inscriptions have only consumed one point four percent of available block space. Over the last 30 days, that's good. But as you just recognized, because the average transaction value sits at 23 United States pennies, that average is going to go up. It is. It it really is going to go up. Now, let's see what that damage is being done in mempools. Not bad. Uh, High priority, 44 Satoshis per V-byte. It's about $2.65 to get off a standard transaction. Uh, 40 Satoshis per V-byte for low priority. Anything under 23.2 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged. And there are, in fact, 500 blocks carrying 284,000 unconfirmed transactions. Uh, Now, over here where I am definitely not in the top 10 on Fountain any longer, I still have a lot of people that are, you know, trying to get me there, including... Letter 6173 with 50,000 sats says, great episode. Oh, I appreciate that. Pies with 10,000 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Letter with another six, or letter 6173 with another 10,000 sats says, double boost. I appreciate that, bro. Uh, Crazy 69 with 10,000 sats. Holy crap. Great stuff. Had me laughing out loud in the D's nut band show. Pies with 5,000 says, nothing. Uh, Kaz Peelin with 2,000 says boost. Pies with 1,000 says won't be boosting for a while. So figured I'd boost my favorite podcast, the rest of my fountain sats. Dude, I appreciate that, Pies. Hope to see you back here soon. Axelrod, 451 sats. A thought for ad-free speech mode in Circle P. When read coverage of new products and services in Bitcoin, add the option to boost you in sats if we buy the product and suggest your audience drop your contact when buying the product so they know you're shilling their product for free and see if they drop you some sats. Terrible sentence, I know. Cry more. Spank you, sir. No, spank you. Uh, Yes, and I, I try to do that, but you've got to understand I'm not a professional advertiser. I was not raised as a radio announcer. I barely know how any of this shit works. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't market my way out of a wet paper bag with holes in it. And I've met people that look at me when I say that and go, it just comes naturally. How, does, how do you not know how to do this? Oh, I don't know because some people know things that other people don't fucking know. I mean, try that shit on for size, boys and girls. There's actually shit that I don't know. There's shit you don't know. Most of us, there's shit that we don't even know we don't know it. At least I know that I don't know how to market. I try to do what Axelrod says. Like when you go get your black soldier fly from Dubrovko, you need to tell him that you heard it from me. 
Because if you don't, he will have literally no freaking idea where the sale came from. And as much as everybody hates to think about, oh, your demographic is between 16 and 55 and, and, and these, these other metrics and these metrics and these, and, and, and it just, but they're necessary because otherwise nobody knows what the hell's what nobody knows that I'm trying to sell their product. If you buy their product and you don't tell them that you heard it from me, I don't have the structure in place to be able to do that in an automated format. I'm trusting you guys. I need, when I do this, Circle P is just as much yours as it is mine because Circle P doesn't matter if the people that listen to me finally want to go out and buy the shit, but they don't actually mention to the person they're buying from that they heard it on the Circle P. It, you, you, you've got skin in the game too. You can have skin in the game too. And yes, I would love to be able to have a situation where I can boost part of my profits on a prism. Like let's say somebody bought a plant from uh, Fern's plant shop in Spokane, Washington, and they knew that it came from me. So they boost with a particular hashtag on Noster and they boost like 50,000 sats. And then that particular hashtag also contains somehow or another, the name of the person, the, the NOS, the end pub of the person that told them that they're buying it because they heard on the circle P and they get like 20% of those sats. I would love that to happen. And we're going to see that happen, but it's not today. It's not today. It's not today. It's not today. But Pi says, thank you, sir, with 420. No, thank you. God's death with 370. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Sorry, he's full of typos. Andrew Crow with 100 says, for cleaning up audio, use an AI plugin. The one that comes with video editor DaVinci can do amazing things which are just not possible using traditional techniques. Background noise of someone speaking in a busy train station can be almost entirely removed with just a click. Incredible stuff. I will let Hoddlebod know about that, but I guarantee you that he probably does know we were in a really busy place when we were doing that that interview. And it's okay because I just enjoy talking to Hoddlebot. I just love talking to other Bitcoiners, especially face-to-face. So I don't care if that episode ever comes out because I had such a good time talking to my friend. User with a shit ton of numbers with 100 says, this guy, Greg, in parentheses, can he open Satoshi Wallet and provide evidence? Until then, let him fucking around and pretending he is BTC creator. Yeah, well, you know, you're never going to get rid of Craig, which is sad, but Craig's, it's like Jesus telling his disciples, the Craig will always be with you. There's your weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Hong Kong SFC has received its first spot Bitcoin ETF application. So here we go. Hong Kong, Prussian Ja, Cointelegraph, going to tell us much more. The Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission reportedly received its very first spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund application just weeks after the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved the first spot BTC ETF in the United States. Harvest Hong Kong, one of China's largest fund managers, 
submitted a spot Bitcoin application to the Hong Kong SFC January the 26th. The report added that the regulatory body is actively working to expedite the process for approval of ETFs in the country to launch the first Hong Kong spot Bitcoin ETF after the Chinese New Year on February the 10th. According to the report, the Hong Kong regulatory body may follow a similar approach to the U.S. SEC and approve multiple spot ETFs to ensure a level playing field. While, excuse me, while Harvest Fund might be the first applicant to file for a spot BTC ETF, it may not be the only one. Several regional financial institutions have signed their in, or signaled their interest in launching their own spot ETFs in 2024. As Cointelegraph reported back on the 19th, at least 10 financial institutions, 10 in the country, are actively working to launch a spot Bitcoin ETF. Financial giants such as Venture Smart Financial Holdings have already set the first quarter of 2024 as their target to launch a spot Bitcoin ETF. Several existing crypto companies that launched futures ETFs in Hong Kong are also expected to be among spot Bitcoin ETF filers. Samsung Asset Management, which launched the Samsung Bitcoin futures in 2023, reportedly said that it wouldn't eliminate the possibility of exploring a launch of a spot Bitcoin ETF. Hong Kong has emerged as one of the leading crypto destinations in Asia thanks to its regulator's pro-crypto approach in 2023. The SFC created crypto-focused regulations in 2023, allowing institutional and retail investors to participate in Bitcoin or, well, here it's crypto activities, but whatever. Even before the SEC approved the spot Bitcoin ETF, the Hong Kong SEC or SFC opened the door to crypto-based ETFs and expressed its readiness to receive applications for the authorization of various funds. Okay, so Hong Kong... And let's be let's be clear what what is Hong Kong? Even to this day, Hong Kong is the financial epicenter of the East. And when I mean so I can say Asia, but that would include Russia because Russia is actually part of Asia. So I'm just going to say the East, the like the Orient, right? How we used to call it the Orient, China, Japan. I mean, Tokyo is big in the financial, big financial player too, don't get me wrong, but Hong Kong, Hong Kong, trade, finance, Hong Kong. Even after China took over Hong Kong from the British at the expiration of the British lease, it had a 99-year lease on Hong Kong, that shit went up in smoke a few years back and China took it over. Even after that, Hong Kong has remained a financial powerhouse in the world. And they're looking at the possibility of 10 spot Bitcoin ETFs alongside the 11 that launched in the United States, which is arguably more powerful, a financial powerhouse than China and Hong Kong, as far as, 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 the, as the, the infrastructure of finance is concerned. Wall Street. Um, I, I, we may not like it, but that's just the way this shit is. So now there's going to be 10 products in Asia if they, you know, if all 10 actually get, you know, done. But there's no reason that they won't. There would have been had the SEC said, you know what, we don't want to do this. 
and, and delayed it again or done whatever that they were going to do, but they didn't. And because of that, I think that the chances of China getting at least 10 spot Bitcoin ETF, pro- well, actually the, the chance that China, that the East through Hong Kong gets 100% of however many spot Bitcoin ETFs are actually filed, they'll get them. 100% of them. They'll get all of them. If there's three that are filed only, they're going to get all three. They're, they're, the Hong Kong is not going to start is to flip-flop around on this. So just expect now that there's a whole shit ton of products that will soak up BTC in one of the most populated places on the planet that represents one of the largest financial players also on the planet. I, I, I don't see this lull in Bitcoin price hanging around too much longer. There's just too much buying. There's too much buying potential that's coming online. And like right around the time that we start seeing, okay, BlackRock's got as much Bitcoin, you know, they're, they're not going to buy like huge tranches anymore. They're, they're slowing down on their buying, blah, blah, blah. You're going to get all this shit happen in Hong Kong and off to the races again. And after that, what? Eh, Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia. Indonesia will probably, you know, fall in line. And after that, I mean, we're just, I mean, at that point, it's mop-up crew. It's because Europe already has a couple of spot Bitcoin ETFs. But I just, I just don't see us staying here very much longer. I really don't. And now we're at $43,105. It's going to be chop. I get that. Don't trade this stuff, please, for the love of God, don't. I just don't see us staying here very much longer. Now, on to something funny. Jim Cramer. He's not always wrong. And because he's not always wrong, the inverse Cramer ETF is going to have to shut down. Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph.com. <coughs> the exchange-traded fund that bet against trading tips from CNBC Mad Money host Jim Cramer is shutting down after just 10 months of trading. <laughs> That's sad. That's too bad. On January the 25th, the fund manager... Tuttle Capital Management announced that its inverse Kramer ETF or SGIM, which was launched in March of 2023, would be closed and liquidated with its last trading day on February the 13th. The fund shorted stock tips uh, recommended by Kramer, but only managed to attract $2.4 million and has seen a negative 15% return since its launch. Interesting. It comes after the firm's long Kramer ETF or LGM was scrapped in August of 2023 after only pulling in $1.3 million and posting a 2.2% return. It was launched alongside SGM and purchased the Mad Money host stock tips. Kramer has become a meme among some retail crypto and stock traders for his investment tips that sometimes turn out to be the wrong call. Yeah, there's no reason to read the rest of this because that's all you need to know. It was a it was an actual fund and it was it traded one hundred percent. Like if if Kramer said to buy Tesla that day, this fund would actually go short Tesla. It would that's that's what it would that's what it would do. It, if whatever Kramer was shorting, they would go long on it. They did the absolute inverse of whatever Jim Kramer did. 
And the problem is, is that as much as we want to say that Jim's always wrong, I think this actually proves that that's not true. And I, I'm no fan of Jim Cramer. I, re, I, I really, I'm, I'm not a fan of Cramer at all. I think that the man is, I think the man may be psychotic. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter though. He's got more money than I do. So apparently that makes him a better person. But be that as it may, he's not always wrong. And this is actually proof. So we got to be, we, we should probably be careful with our memes because they can get us, they can get us in a lot of, a lot of trouble. <laughs> All right. Do we want to do that one? Yeah, we'll do this one. A backdoor regulatory option haunts United States crypto. Coindesk, Jesse Hamilton. Uh, this is, this is important. So, so please, please, uh, Listen hard to this one. After the 2008 global financial meltdown, Congress set up a round table of regulators who could wield a unique tool against the next emerging threats. The Financial Stability Oversight Council can tag companies with systemic risk labels that saddle them with tremendous new restrictions and the crypto sector has the council's attention. In November, the FSOC, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, a collection of the heads of the United States Department of the Treasury, the Federal Reserve, Security and Exchange Commission, and other agencies erased some key changes from the Trump era that had neutered the council's power to designate companies as threats. It's now back into full effect even if the authority has long remained dormant. At any time, the council could decide that one of the giants in the digital asset sphere, let's say a stablecoin issuer such as Circle, could wound the wider financial system in the event of a failure, something akin to American International Group Incorporated's role in the mortgage collapse of 2008. When the FSOC affixes that tag on a business, it becomes a regulatory ward of the Fed, subjected to a number of compliance demands and supervision. So far, there's no sign that such a move is coming, but the council has been warning of stablecoins emerging dangers to financial stability and congressional Republicans. Finally brought this potentiality into the public in a subcommittee hearing this month. As most of the digital assets industry was glued to news of the spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds, lawmakers on the House Financial Services Committee asked pointed questions about exactly what the Uber regulator has in mind for crypto. Quote, FSOC needs to tread very carefully when entertaining the idea of sidestepping Congress and congressional intent, said Representative French Hill uh, from Arkansas, the chairman of the Digital Assets Subcommittee, who underlined the legislative work he and other lawmakers have been doing to shepherd crypto bills towards the House floor. Quote, we've crafted a regulatory framework for digital assets and we've crafted a regulatory regime for stablecoins. We don't need FSOC to be involved in that. What they need to do is support our legislative effort, he said. <coughs> the systemic risk watchdog's most recent mention of virtual assets came in its annual report last month, which again highlighted crypto as a potential emerging hazard for the health of United States finance. 
The regulators are especially concerned over stablecoins. The tokens match to the value of steady assets such as the U.S. dollar, which are generally used as a means to buy and sell volatile digital assets. On the surface, the Council's call for crypto legislation seems supportive of lawmakers' aims, but the report again added a kind of warning. The Council remains prepared to consider steps available to it to address risks related to stablecoins in the event comprehensive legislation is not enacted. It's <clears throat> basically, if you don't act soon, we may. Despite the warning, one of those testifying at the hearing, Ji Kim, the general counselor and head of global policy for the Crypto Council for Innovation, told Coindesk, it's still unlikely that FSOC might wield this tool. Quote, it would certainly be surprising for us to, for that to happen since FSOC designation is deliberately a very high bar, which is meant for risks of great magnitude, he said. The council's members have granted that the crypto or the current crypto sector, quote, does not rise to the level of being a systemic risk, end quote. Bill Hulse, senior vice president of the United States Chamber of Commerce's Center for Capital Markets Competitiveness, suggested at the hearing that the council may be threatening Congress with potential risk designations as leverage to get its way on how the bills are written. But he contended that 2022, with its massive industry failures that included the collapse of FTX, neatly demonstrated there's no case to be made that the crypto sector can significantly shake the rest of the country's financial plumbing. Quote, none of these failures, including instances of fraud and other breaches of consumer trust, had any material effect on the traditional financial system, he said in his testimony. The FSOC has a spotty track record and is famously sluggish because a long list of agency heads with very different interests must agree on the actions the council takes. In the beginning, it roped in several large insurers, including AIG, but all four of the companies it initially designated have since exited. In the intervening years, it focused largely on its annual report that flags ongoing concerns. Lawmakers and Paul Kapuik, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, noted at the hearing that the group of regulators recently failed to head off one of the most serious financial crises since the mortgage meltdown. When institutions such as Silvergate Bank and Signature Bank started tanking, in part due to reliance on crypto industry deposits, the council had nothing, done nothing to prevent it. Federal banking agencies whose chiefs are on the FSOC, quote, fell short on their efforts to supervise banks that had significant business relationships with the digital asset industry. They did not use their prompt corrective action powers to mitigate the risk generated by the bank's investment decisions and the digital business relationships, Kupiak noted. To bring a firm under... To bring a crypto firm under Fed supervision, the council would have to go through a lengthy multi-stage process that it's never used in any companies other than those implicated in the dangers during the 2008 crisis. Designating a crypto firm as risky might also open the council to questions about why it hasn't targeted a giant U.S. asset manager. For now, Republican lawmakers seem to be laying down their own warning that the administration will hear from them again if the FSOC goes down that road. Okay, so this is sort of that plan B thing that I was telling you about with uh, Gary Gensler, because Gary Gensler reluctantly 
he was very, very reluctant to actually be the deciding vote that swung the 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 Fed to approve, not the Fed, the SEC to approve the spot Bitcoin ETFs because it was tied two and two, two or four, two were against, and Gary Gensler ended up because he's the chairman. He had to actually make the deciding vote, and we all know that he didn't want to do this, and yet he voted yes because his hands were tied because of grayscale. His hands were tied because of grayscale. He had to make that call. There was no other call that he was going to make. He had to vote yes, but he didn't want to do it. Ah, but he's got the FSOC in his back pocket. If for whatever reason, he's maybe, the, you know, maybe it's Coinbase one day. Maybe one day he just wakes up and he's really pissed off because he didn't have enough Bitcoin. So what does he do? He calls up FSOCs and says, you know what? I think you need to tag Coinbase. And all of a sudden, you've got major problems. This FSOC is nothing to laugh at. Sure, they haven't done anything yet. But the fact of the matter is that they can. And if you can do a thing, even if it doesn't necessarily follow that you must do that thing, these morons, these sociopaths, (coughs) these psychopaths will do it. Nobody in the history of governmental power has ever not executed a governmental power that they were able to execute. Nobody has ever not executed it. They always use the power. It doesn't matter what the power is. They always use it. They always use it and they always will. So FSOC is a problem. And we need to be very, very aware that that problem is an extant problem and it's just laying in wait it's sleeping in its cave. It's hibernating. But one of these days, that son of a bitch is going to wake up. And it's probably going to be not Gary Gensler, but whatever Fed chairman we get after this dude, because I don't think this guy's going to last. They're going to poke that son of a bitch and bear with a stick. And it's going to wake up and it's going to be pissed. And the first thing it's going to go after is shit that depresses the price of Bitcoin. It is always going to happen. Do not sleep on this. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, it's joke time from the very embarrassing book of dad jokes by Ian Allen. How does an intruder get inside your house? Intrude a window. That's a good one. I think I, I think I'm gonna cut my losses on that one. I'm gonna take the win, brother. I'm gonna take the win, brother. I'm gonna take the win, and I'm gonna see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin, and and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.